AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So, John, IoT security is a hot topic, and I was wondering if you could tell us about the recent draft guidance from NIST around it? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, we talk about IoT a lot on the show, uh, especially all of the vulnerable devices, right, yeah. that are IoT-based mm -hmm. uh, that we see uh, in a lot of the security analysis we do. And NIST actually released a report about the status of uh, cybersecurity standardization for IoT or Internet of Things. It's kind of like a guidebook or a roadmap that people could use as a reference when they're doing their IoT deployments to make sure that they're covering all their bases in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, in those environments? Yeah, so I think, you know, when we talk to our customers about IoT adoption and the lack of security, you know, guidance and standards and, you know, compliance requirements around it, we do come across this uh, request for sort of a roadmap, right? Yeah. So where do we start, you know, from an IoT security perspective? How do we, you know, make sure that we think about the risks as we are adopting more and more of these IoT devices into our organization's network? So I thought it was interesting to sort of look at it as a framework and then tweak it to your organization's needs and capabilities. Right, it's a good guide, reference guidebook for them yeah. to kind of get, get a starting point, yeah. right, for yeah, their exactly. IoT security practices. Yeah. Mike, what did you think about the specific categories within security? Well, I think it's uh, interesting, but I think for a lot of organizations, um, based on some other research that was issued out uh, here this past month, uh, you know, they're, they're still struggling with the organizational challenges of trying to figure out who has responsibility for IoT security and even enumerating really what the IoT secure, uh, devices are uh, in their environment. And that's kind of tampered uh, in a lot of cases by a lack of headcount, uh, as well as just a lack of awareness of where these types of devices might be. Yeah, I would agree also um, that I think there are a lot of customers that I've run across that have a lot of deployed IoT. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times it's something that they don't even think could get infected. They're like, how could this get infected? Take it from the angle of a risk-based approach as you include IoT devices within your network. Think of them as security risk exposure asset while you're bringing them into your environment. So definitely as security teams are thinking about IoT and you know the convergence between OT and IT security teams that are coming together, governance is an issue, right? Like Mike was saying, you know, this could be a framework for us to lay out responsibilities as well. You know, areas where you would the OT team would cover, the areas the IT team would cover. Mm -hmm. And this will also alleviate some of the challenges in terms of the functionality versus the security risk of each of these devices. Right, right. You know, one of the most important takeaways from this is this can't be a point in time exercise. That really, when you look at um, kind of security steering committee uh, type function, uh, that needs to bring those different functions to the table. It can't be a one-time event. It really needs to become uh, part of an ongoing programmatic part of an information security program. Right, some good life cycle management in there. Um, you know, like you said, this is a really good starting point. Um, mm -hmm. They cover pretty much everything from a very high level in terms of getting you started, in yeah. terms of uh, uh, what to think about in your IoT deployments um, security-wise. So definitely a good read for people to take right. a look at. Because a standards developing body like NIST can offer such deep insights and give you that broad uh, perspective on use of IoT and all of the associated security challenges and take a risk angle, I think this is a good place for organizations to get a head start with some of the challenges that they're having.
Hey Mike, uh, I understand you're looking into an article about yet another cryptocurrency miner type uh, malware attack that had been going on recently. Yeah, it's being called Dofoil, um, and it's a variant of the smoke loader Trojan uh, that is typically delivered via spam and exploit kits. Uh, in this case, the Dofoil Trojan was actually being updated uh, as part of a supply chain attack because it was uh, initially deployed um, about uh, starting in the middle of last month via a malicious update to a BitTorrent client called MediaGet. This is something that the user base typically downloads, and BitTorrent itself is not malicious, right? But then it's being used for malicious purposes. What was also interesting is that unlike other types of malware that uh, are reaching out to uh, attacker-controlled command uh, and control networks or even leveraging uh, legitimate services um, as command and control, um, this one was actually leveraging um, malicious domains with a .bit uh, extension. And they were doing this uh, the Namecoin uh, infrastructure. The Namecoin uh, as a means for command and control, it's kind of an alternative DNS off to the side uh, as opposed to traditional DNS. So it's interesting techniques they used here that we'll probably see used elsewhere as well in the future. Once they uh, had about a two week runtime um, of updates, they started distributing uh, the malware and uh, that started having widespread uh, infection rate peaking about a half million machines um, or around the sixth of the month. So organizations today, if they were to take precautions against this, what would you think, Mike, they would be doing for it? First of all, they should be looking for these potentially unwanted programs, um, which may not necessarily in themselves be malicious. Um, but do often uh, act as gateways uh, for other malicious activities. Um, also, when you're looking at logs, if you see um, you know, name resolution requests going outbound to suspicious looking domains, particularly top level domains with strange extensions or systems communicating directly to IPs without having gone through any sort of name resolution service, this is probably an indication that there is something um, going on in your network that needs some additional investigation. You know, in a corporate network, depending on how you're set up, you could look in your log data to find any evidence that DNS lookups are occurring towards those types of domains and or those DNS servers specifically for the Namecoin service. And I think we talk a lot about sort of the user being the firewall as well, right? So, right. you know, the fact that, you know, we have a number of organizations where users do download these clients onto their, you know, work machines, right? And I think that's also a step where educating the user on, like Mike pointed out, a BitTorrent client, you're not really downloading it with malicious intent, but it could then be used for malicious purposes eventually. And this one was interesting to me. I'll have to say the Microsoft write-up on this, on their blog, I was very impressed with. It was quite good. It's a really good read if you're into like getting down into the weeds. Um, they do a very good job of explaining how this malware does the process hollowing and uh, inserts its code in and whatnot. It's a very good uh, write-up. But there are, like you said, Mike, some really interesting techniques here, such as the use of Namecoin, which I don't know that I've actually seen before, um, but that would be something that now you know about it would be pretty easy, I think, to go find 
uh, if it's happening in your corporate network. So like Mike said, that would be a good yeah. one to look for in logs. For you to be able to identify any of these behavior that the malware is spreading, you need to know what your baseline network traffic is and be able to identify that anomaly. I think that's uh, one of the key things to note here. So Bindu, uh, you were telling me about uh, some interesting data points that came out of the HIMSS Cybersecurity Conference. Can you talk more about that? Yes, so healthcare is one of those verticals that we have been seeing as one of the uh, attractive targets for hackers, right? Because of the type of information that they have. The information that a healthcare organization has about us, it's beyond credit cards, right? It's your social security number, your insurance information. It's got a lot of sensitive assets in terms of information. I thought this survey was interesting because it spoke about 75% of the surveyed you know, healthcare organizations have had one major incident, at least in the last year. Then uh, the good news in this was about 45% of them said that they do risk assessments. We've been saying this for a while, right? You know, when you want to really make security investments, take a look at the risks associated for your organization and make investments accordingly. You know, it's an important report. I think uh, that's really an important area to focus cybersecurity awareness and safety in to make sure that those are really hardened. So interesting thing in that is we do see healthcare, the most of the breaches that have happened has happened because of user error or the lack of security awareness. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I did uh, find interesting is they do do the awareness and training, but there is it's not enough because the effectiveness of those is still not working because most of them are still clicking on the phishing emails. Mm -hmm. Healthcare seems to be one of those uh, you know industry verticals that are hit with ransomware quite a bit. Yeah. So what do we do, right? So is security training enough from taking a computer-based training? No, because we need to really think about it like a campaign approach and really take a look at, you know, how do we constantly educate our user population and also some amount of positive reinforcement, right? You know, some of the things that we've learned is introduce security as almost a marketing campaign within your organization. Security has to be part of every user within an organization. I think most of the attacks that come in that do a lot of damage usually are arriving via email. Mm -hmm. So having a really good security awareness program, I think is really key. Yeah. You know, like you said, you know, at AT&T, we, we do have some and we've tried to made it, make it entertaining, mm -hmm. very easily digestible so that people, you know, are kind of like, oh, this is fun, you yeah. know, kind of understanding some of these recent types of attacks that attackers use mm -hmm. to trick you or get access to company uh, information. So I think that anything you can do to make your security awareness program uh, and training engaging and relevant and consumable by your, your staff uh, is incredibly important, but also um, hand in hand with that are the technology solutions that are going to uh, help enable uh, compliance. Because even, you know, with the best of intentions of being 100% uh, accurate and successful at following uh, the training, you know, attackers up their game every single day. It's agreed, right? I think uh, just one element is not going to help solve all of these, you know, challenges that we are having. So security awareness is key, but then you want to control it at your email level. You want to filter so that your users don't get those links, right? So we talk about layered security approach all the time. You know, layered defense for sure. And, um, but it does help to have people aware that sometimes you know, I've run across users that they get compromised, they don't even realize they get compromised. Yeah. But with good security awareness programs, they're like, wait a second, I think something might have happened to my computer when I clicked on this yeah. uh, because they've seen some of these, you know, uh, 
videos or whatnot that we put out. Yeah, I think having that layered approach and learning from this report that they've made a positive stride in terms of doing security assessments, getting the risk assessments done as part of due diligence. They're making strides in the right direction. So I think this is a, a good report to read. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially if you're in the healthcare industry. Yeah, Mike? I was going to say one last element to make sure uh, the companies are thinking about is that culture of transparency. Um, because um, if somebody does fail um, to identify the fish uh, attack or the malicious content and they do click on it, you don't want them to be afraid to come forward. So encourage an open environment with your users so that they don't feel nervous or concerned that they're gonna be penalized or made felt bad that they got tricked into clicking on an email. It happens to everybody. So you have to keep your foundations right, have a risk-based approach, a layered defense strategy as you're evolving and innovating, whether it's moving to the cloud, whether it's you know transforming into, into digital records. Keep in mind that that layered defense approach never gets old. Okay, Bindu, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. It's a lot of repeated stuff that we've talked about a lot over the past couple of weeks, but um, I'm gonna throw in one new thing that's kind of small, but people should pay attention to. Uh, but in terms of the most uh, probe ports from a scanning activity, Telnet is way up at the top, which is usual. SSH, uh, you got your Microsoft SQL Server, Windows File Sharing, 445 TCP. 8545 TCP is the Ethereum wallet. It's a wallet that has a vulnerability. There's a small number of actors out there scanning for this still, trying to see if they could steal some uh, Ethereum cryptocurrency off of those people. Remote Desktop Protocol is always very popular as a scanning port because uh, they can get remote access to your machine. Web, uh, FTP we've seen uh, up in the top 10 quite a bit lately. 1911 TCP is the Tritium Niagara Fox, which this is mostly good guy activity scanning for this, uh, but this is a building automation protocol uh, in the IoT space, industrial control system. The most sources probe is usually related to botnet related activity because you got a lot of sources doing scanning um, in concert with each other. There's a lot of stuff here uh, that we see all the time, uh, but we're going to take a look at 5431 TCP again. And we're going to also take a look at 81 TCP. Those are the two I kind of highlighted here because um, they're more interesting. The other ones we know what's going on. Uh, but before we jump into these, uh, there was one kind of below the fold of the top 20 or top 10. Uh, down in the top 20-ish, there was an interesting one that I kind of noticed here that I thought I would point out because we've seen a lot of interest in database servers uh, being targeted. Um, this one I thought was interesting because there's a small number of sources. If you're using Redis, which is a, a database type of engine, you might want to pay attention to this because there is some actor out there and what they were doing, and I kind of noticed they're scanning these ports here, 6380, 6381, 6382, and 6383. Those are, especially the first two, are well-known associated with Redis, which are in orange and red here. So if you're running Redis, I would take a, a careful look at that. The next one uh, was the 5431 TCP. This is the mystery that I've been trying to figure out for the past few weeks here. The scan source are geographically dispersed. It might be related to Broadcom's universal plug and play because they actually listen on 5431 TCP. The thing that's really strange about this is it really stops and starts quickly, which is not typical for um, most botnets. Usually they start, they'll run for like at least a few hours. This is like they run for maybe an hour and a half or an hour and they stop. Um, and they start really quickly all at the same time and they stop really quickly at the same time, which is not really typical. 
The other really odd thing is when you look at the scanning traffic, you have these devices, all these whatever they are devices, trying to scan destination port 5431. They're setting their source port statically to port 6. So you'll see source port 6, destination port 5431. So I kind of lined up this activity so you could see, because I can't do it in one chart, that they do line up. And I could see this from our flow data. So it's a little weird. Don't know what to make of that exactly. Why this traffic exists. I don't think there's actually a lot of things listening on this port that are going to answer. So I don't know. I think that uh, it's a weird one that uh, I can't really account for yet. Yeah, but a pretty persistent one looking yeah. at the intervals there, right? Yes. Yeah, it definitely stops and starts. And I'm, I was trying to analyze, figure out, is there something telling them to stop and start all at once? And I wasn't able to figure that out. I will redact a couple of things I said before. I said a lot of them have port 4567 open. But when I started to look more at this, not as many were showing up like that today when I was doing my analysis. I also said previous week, uh, many of the scan sources appear to be have this micro HDB broadband routers web server running. I did another analysis. I'm not sure. But in any event, it's pretty much most of the world in terms of uh, who have devices. So I, I don't know what it is yet, but we still need to figure this out. I still have not solved the mystery on port 5431 TCP. Would like to get to the bottom of that. I'm hoping it's benign, but it's a lot of activity for something to be benign. So I, I'm, my gut says it's probably not. <laughs> the last one that we have here was the port 81 TCP. This is an alternate HTTP web server, and I'm showing a 120-day view. This is port is used a lot by a, different, a lot of different things. Um, but there is. Um, a very well-known uh, remote code execution exploit that can be leveraged against the go-ahead web server, which is also a very popular kind of embedded web server. It's a little tiny, lightweight web server that's in a lot of these IoT-type mm -hmm. devices, notably in the uh, security camera, DVR-type things you know, that you can yeah. get. If you have devices like that um, and you haven't already, you should make sure they're patched and that you're not using any kind of default password-type things on those. Uh, which typically happens a lot, especially in these IoT type spaces. And I think you know what is interesting from everything that you've been saying, right? Again, back to the default passwords within databases. You know, make sure that you don't have unnecessary services running. All these IoT devices that you have, include them as part of your scanning overall. You know, and make sure that you know they're you're giving them the same sort of security measures that you would do for any other system within your organization. Right. Right. Because we are tracking, you know this sort of scanning activity. And you know when you're showing us this whole 120 days, 60 days timeline, these don't look like they're stopping. No, yeah, definitely not. And yeah. in a lot of cases, you see that they have periods of yeah. spikes and whatnot with increased activity. Definitely things for people to keep, uh, keep on top of and make sure that they get patched. Treat your cameras, your databases, your IoT devices that you have all as part of your security risk profile, right? Each device that you are bringing in, it might have a functional use, but think of it as a mini computer, if you will, right? This is connecting somewhere. This is, you are giving it access. You know, it is part of your network. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.